Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Helen. I'm Janet. And I'm Maggie. So it's the holidays, which means weather weather. Time with good friends, lots of yummy food, the warmth of fireplaces, family gatherings, and if you're single, those annoying, do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend yet questions from parents, aunts, and uncles. Yes, the holidays can be a wonderful time, but they can also be incredibly lonely for those of us who are single. On today's episode, we have Maggie Su, who has an established business development career in technology. She is currently the global business development lead of Amazon Managed Blockchain and has served as an advisor to the CEO of Zappos. Maggie holds both an undergraduate and business degree from Harvard University and is also a co-founder of Gold House Collective, an exclusive organization pioneering Asian founders, creative voices, and leaders dedicated to uniting the world through cross-cultural collaboration. She is also the co-founder of Mochi Magazine, an online magazine for Asian women. Maggie is a true Asian boss girl, but today we want to talk to her about dating. In true Asian boss girl form, when Maggie got frustrated with the modern day dating experience, she built a company to do it better. Maggie co-founded Get Set Date, a dating consultancy that takes a human approach to dating, believing that people are not just a collection of facts that can be matched by an algorithm. Get Set Date provides photography, matchmaking, and coaching services, and has been described by the Washington Post as why Silicon Valley singles are giving up on the algorithm of love. Please welcome to the podcast, Maggie! Welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Maggie. Just from your profile alone, you're clearly a multi-talented, true Asian boss girl. And we are so happy to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. So let's get started with just an intro of how did you get into matchmaking? Yeah, so it actually started in high school um, with one of my best friends. So I went to Exeter and all of our classes were Socratic styles. They were around like a conference room table and I was sitting, you know, I was sat near my friend and there was this guy across the table uh, who like during class would just be looking at her. And so I was like, this guy's like really into you. She's like, she had no idea. Um, And so I actually like connected them. Um, You know, she, they, they actually started dating and um, I, I, you know, might have forever been a misconnection if not for me. And so that, that's what got me hooked. 
Oh, wow. That's an awesome story. What what skills or characteristics do you think make you a good matchmaker? And also, what is your process as a matchmaker? Sure. So the, the first one is in order to, I'd say, make a good match, you have to be able to match person A with per- person B. And so I, I don't judge. I really take in what the person says, but I can also read between the lines. So mm-hmm. sometimes people say something, but they really need to be pushed to be a little more open-minded. Or I know that, you know, they have five criteria, but maybe they should wait the fifth one a little less. So I think that's the, the first element. And then the second one is, do I actually have a person B to match them with, right? So do I have that network of, of people that I can, you know, even if there's a perfect person for them, and I know who that is, um, can I find that person? And so I have a really big and diverse network, um, which is important because it's only, you know, as good as who I can find to match you with. And I also have no shame. So if I need to find someone outside my network, I can reach out to them. I'm not afraid of rejection. Um, so I'll reach out to people cold on social media, or I'll find out how we're connected through friends and get a warm introduction. Um, or I've even like scoured through YouTube videos to find potential matches. So um, I just find that process really fun of, um, you know, finding the right person and the right match for a client. Um, and then in terms of the process, so have you guys watched like Millionaire Matchmaker, Indian Matchmaker with like the bio yeah, data yeah. sheets? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, you know, there are definitely a few core elements that are important. So um, when people are looking for something, they're probably looking for a certain age range. They might be looking for, you know, certain height or ethnicity or interest. But um, when it comes down to it, my process, you know, I, I match, you know, I have those criteria, but I also essentially look for similar like energy or what I call vibe. And it might sound a little bit hokey, but it, it could be something like the same sense of humor um, or a similar outlook on situations. Um, and it definitely, if it comes down to intuition, so it's more of an art than a science. Um, but again, like you can have those clear criteria, but there are all these other intangible things that I tend to match on as well. I am digging this vibe thing. I, I totally, I'm all about the vibes and like compatibility in terms of, like a feeling and a gut. So when you're speaking right now, I'm just like, ooh, this sounds very something like I might sign up for this. Um, in your experience, are the individuals in a successful relationship generally more similar or different? Like, would you say opposites attract? Yeah, it depends on what aspects you're looking at. So I think a relationship can be successful if people have different interests. And I know, I know oftentimes you think interests have to totally overlap. So one person really likes hiking, the other person has to like hiking. And I do think in some cases that's important to have those commonalities. But mm-hmm. um, what's more important for a lasting relationship is having the same core values. So having that core value mm-hmm. alignment is, is really important. And if that isn't there, then the relationship will definitely fail. And so that could be things like how you view the role of family or how risk-taking you both are, both financially and career-wise, or how you make decisions. And so I think that's really where you have to be similar. Um, and then the interests are, are almost like a nice-to-have or bonus. But, you know, like my husband plays video games all the time. I would actually classify that as an interest of his. Like, I do not have that interest. We're fine. And I'm a big food foodie, food lover. And he will eat the same thing every day. And so again, like, you know, that definitely would be nice if, if he if he liked better tasting food, but I have other friends I can go eat nice meals with. Mm. <laughs> I like that separation of like, the, or differentiating values versus interests. Mm. And, and Mel reacted that way when you talked about hiking, because that's one of the things she actually talks about a lot on her podcast is how she likes guys who are maybe more athletic, but she's like not a hiker. So that's always like something that conflicts when she's like trying to swipe. Um, but yeah, so... What's interesting for us, you know, we're coming from a female perspective, and I think maybe asking selfishly for Mel and myself um, as single women, um, we're wondering from your experience, are there common patterns that you see among women who struggle with dating? 
I'd say the biggest one is having that rigid checklist and only dating people who check every box. Mm. So I have a lot of girlfriends who say things like he has to be over six feet tall, but what if someone is 5'11 and they're otherwise perfect? Like, are you going to reject him for that one inch? I actually listened Mm -hmm. to one of your earlier podcasts on online dating, and I think a few of you were adjusting your toggles of location and age and height. And I think it's good to, you know, you can adjust and adjust back. You don't you don't have to go to something you're completely uncomfortable with, but um, not necessarily having that rigid filter. Um, I think the second one is not making enough time and really space for dating in your lives. So this is like literal time set aside to go on dates. Um, But there's also Mm -hmm. like this mental space that you have to hold because like it can be a slog, right? Like it's, it's very exhausting to pour yourself out on a date and then, you know, then never see the person again or, you know, go on a number of bad dates. And I think Mentally, you just have to acknowledge that you will go on bad dates. Um, And so for me, like if I could tell a date wasn't going well, I would either try and get out of it quickly. So I actually had like a 45 minute rule where, you know, if I could just graciously bow out, um, you know, why waste everyone's time? Or if I if I couldn't, if it was, you know, we had just sat down to dinner, um, really listen to the person and try and learn something. So, um, you know, it might not be a great date, but maybe learn something about what they did or there was something that you got out of that. Um, and then I'm actually pretty analytical. So I started tracking the dates I went on at one point, uh, it wasn't an Excel sheet, but it was basically, basically it was an Excel sheet and it's something like 50 dates before I met my then husband, um, or my now husband. Um, and I think that, you know, again, it goes back to just holding that time and, and mental space. So a lot of people are dating after work and, and sometimes you're just like exhausted, right? You know, you, you just had a full work day and you're rolling into to drinks with someone like maybe you should start scheduling your dates on Saturday, you know, Saturday brunches when you're, when again, you have that time to recharge and refresh. Wow. I'm, I'm just, we're on all on a Zoom call right now and I'm looking at Mel and Janet's face and they're like nodding along like, <laughs> oh yes, this is great information. <laughs> I can see Mel. Taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> Mel's like, wow. <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier that you like would scour YouTube sometimes to find someone and I'm sure you um, you set up a lot of people actually I don't know if we asked this question yet but how long have you um, been a matchmaker mm. for um, and also if you could you share how many people have you successfully set up yeah so I've been matchmaking for probably over 10 years now um, and I track my success rate based on introductions so I've made over 600 introductions and I've had multiple long-term relationships and marriages result wow that is that is amazing you're literally cupid <laughs> What is uh what is the most unique couple that you've set up? Oh wow. Um I mean I guess every couple is unique, but <laughs> I think one of my more I'd call it inspired setups was a really good guy friend from business school. He had worked in finance and he was like really into watching sports and fantasy sports and all things sports and um that was his, you know, vibe or energy. And then I had a girlfriend who actually worked on Mochi magazine with me and she had studied international relations and journalism and she was working in healthcare. So on the surface, they basically had nothing in common. Um, but back to that, you know, values point, they were both really caring, thoughtful, responsible people. They both valued family a lot. And so, you know, I was like, what do you, what do you have to lose? You just go on one date. Um, they went on a date and then I never heard, like they, they were both reluctant to tell me how things were going, but um, they dated for a number of years and they actually got married last year. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Oh, congrats to them. Uh, we're curious, Maggie, how long does it usually take to set up a couple? So you've shared some of your stories, but like, is there, I guess, timing in terms of you finding the match and then also for them to like develop a relationship where you feel like it's successful? It totally varies. So I had uh, two recent clients. So 
The first one um, was a female in her 30s in SF. And the first guy I set her up with, uh, she is now dating. And her friends had actually referred her to me because she was like, quote, impossible to match. And it escalated extremely quickly. So this was, you know, during COVID, so they had a Zoom date. Then they had, I think they met in person. Um, and a few weeks later, they were going on a trip. So it, it went really, really quickly. Um, I have another client, a male in his 20s in New York, who I've gone through probably like 20 prospects with him, maybe two first dates and no second dates. And so it totally depends. And I think any matchmaker who guarantees success over a certain period of time, I'm generally skeptical of because there's so many factors at work um, and it's it's really a timing thing and um, sometimes a geography thing. Um, and it can really um, take, like I said, it can be instantaneous or it can take months and months. I think you have to like learn so much about people to really like understand yeah. how to like connect them. Do you feel like you've learned more about how you perceive people or how people just just operate and work um, to fit? Because you also you're not just like analyzing one person. You have to analyze the potential synergy between two people to really try and like connect them, right? So I feel like between now and ten years ago, you probably have gained this like whole wealth of knowledge of just like how people operate and interact with each other. Is there is there something that you've I guess like learned throughout the years? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's like a two sided marketplace. So um, you can't. It's not like when you buy something where if one person likes it and they can like pay money and it's like you have to get the things in alignment. It's actually really interesting in business school. Um, I did an independent study with a professor on dating and. Um, he ended up winning the Nobel Prize, uh, oh. <laughs> but not for dating, for, for basically he pioneered the um, medical school matching process. So for how people get, you know, uh, connected to medical school. And he also mm. created like a kidney donor market. Um, and so all of these like two multi-sided marketplaces, and he had written a little bit about online dating. Um, and it was basically like, if you have options so let's say, you know, you're going to a restaurant um, and you can't, so you can decide whether you want to go to that restaurant or go to the next restaurant, but once you decide you can't go back, right? So like how many times like do you pass? And so there's some like optimal number where after That's like so the fourth restaurant, you should just yeah. like go for it. Anyway, so there's a lot of applications to dating. This is a very long-winded answer. Um, but personally, I mean, definitely um, have learned a ton about, I think it's, you know, both how people perceive themselves, how others perceive them what they think they want versus what they want. So I, I oftentimes um, focus a lot on past relationships because that tells, and they're oftentimes, you know, people learn things from those relationships that they don't want to repeat, but they sometimes repeat them and you can see the patterns. Um, so that's where it's definitely more of like a, a data analytical approach that I take. And um, sometimes we joke that um, Amy and I, my business partner, that you know, we're both in Silicon Valley and so we're using like a lean startup methodology of like testing and repeating and um, people have to be willing to, to work on themselves or change, um, not necessarily change themselves, but sometimes tweak little things about what they're doing. And so those people are the most successful um, where they're, they're open enough to um, really you know, take the time to understand themselves and why things aren't working. Actually, so that's a, a good point that you brought up because I, I mean, um, having gone to like therapy and and just like looking at a lot of uh, my friends' like relationships, I think a lot of the way that they treat their significant other is also a reflection of how they were treated as like children and their relationship with their parents. Is that something that you ever dive into um, of understanding their like parent-child relationship and their past, not just past relationships, but like family relationships too? 
I think it's really important. Um, I don't have a formal therapy background, so I tend to stay um, out of that area, but we actually work with a number of partners. So we work with um, date coaches, therapists, stylists, um, hair and makeup artists, right? So we, we basically have specialists that we work with. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely there are some therapists that specialize in relationship, like getting to you know who you are and why your relationships are the way they are. Um, and I know they do dive into those aspects. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, Maggie, it was interesting to hear you talk about um, the study you did in business school with the professor and and kind of taking a more data analytics approach. Do you think there is truth to the saying that, like, it's kind of a numbers game? Like, maybe, uh, like, it really does take, because you said 50. I had another friend who also tracked hers, and it was, I think, 30. Does that play a role in just having to just, after the X amount of people that you meet and you try it with, whether it's, like, the number of people or that you start to self-adjust or? Is it a level of exhaustion? <laughs> Sounds like what is the level of exhaustion? <laughs> right? Like that's the balance. I have a friend who probably if she were to count, she's lost track, she'd be on at least 3 or 400, right? And so I think it's a combination of like you you know, you can't win if you don't play the game. Like you have to play the game. So you have to be going on dates. You can't just not date anyone and I I have a friend who basically didn't want to use online dating but also didn't want to go out. And was looking for someone similar. So if you're both sitting in your apartment, like how are you ever going to connect, right? So I do think you have to be dating actively. Um, but Jan, to your point, like you have to also be willing to adjust. Like if it's just not working, right? You have to know why. You know, 300 dates is a lot of dates, and so there's probably something. Maybe you're not filtering. You're not going on the right sorts of dates, or maybe these are all first dates and you didn't give them a chance. Um, there's another school of thought where you should always commit to three dates with one person. So even if the first date didn't work out, go on those next two dates because maybe there's a deep, deeper level of understanding that you'll get to. So I have some friends that have tried that and it definitely helps, right? Not everyone comes across really well uh, on a first impression. First time. First date. Yeah. yeah, That's actually a really, that was something I tried implementing last year um, was going through or at least at least always going on a second date, like never judging it completely based off of one, because I, I have seen where it can be very flippant. <laughs> that's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, that you're already implementing it. That's really wonderful. <laughs> well, I feel like the first date, everyone's always like a different person than who they normally, you know, what they would normally portray mm, to on the a real face. world. Yeah. Cause you're trying to be the best version of yourself. And it's like, is this, is this really the, the person that you're going to end up with? Um, so yeah, back when I was in the dating scene, I agree. I would, I would like always want to at least go on two days to see, but sometimes you just feel the vibe. Sometimes you're just like, definitely not. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you just, yeah, mm-hmm. you never know. And also like if you're dating multiple people, like if you go on too many first dates in one week and then you go on second dates, the following that the second date is where you get tripped up. Cause you, you forget like who you told what oh, information yeah. <laughs> on which first date and what you talked oh. about. And so that I've seen that, um, affect a lot of. Uh, you know, myself, but also a lot of clients if they're dating Ooh, too good, much. Yeah. Yes. I, I have heard, I've heard that from friends as well. And I'm probably in the party that's guilty of not being proactive enough. And, you know, in terms of going out on enough dates to really be able to get like a good gauge. And so usually I will, I might date one or, you know, go on the first or second date, but enough that I can still keep track of the people, like only between one to three at a exactly. time. Exactly. But to your point, like maybe if it is a numbers game, like are there tips that you have for, our listeners in ter- like in terms of how to keep people straight like should you take notes I don't know I've heard girlfriends that will have like designated outfits for second dates versus first dates so that they that's kind of track amazing. in their mind <laughs> oh that's my god that's a good idea I didn't even what? I, that's a great idea um 
I did not. I will have to start recommending that. That is awesome. These are my date one eyelashes. These are my date two eyelashes. A little bit more voluminous. (laughs) I think the notes are good, but it's not ideal because then you're just like keeping track of all these different sets of notes. Um, I think Mm -hmm. what might be better is just a, a filter or a screen. So I've actually advised people, and again, this is a little different with COVID, um, but when people were like, you know, taking the time to go on like a two hour long date, I was like, why don't you just talk to the person for 15 minutes on the phone? Um, And very quickly, you can start weeding people out. Um, And that's almost nobody has actually taken my advice because it it sounds weird to suggest a phone call. Um, But when they do, it's it's just so much better because, um, and that's why I do like the concept of like quick video dates too, which again, I know is becoming more common because it has to be now. Uh, but people were pretty resistant to that before. Or they just seemed like that was a, such a strange idea. But when you have an in-person date, common courtesy, like you can't really leave before 30 or 45 minutes. Um, and then you're getting ready and you're getting there and you're spending money. Like there's just so much investment. And so if you can just yeah. cut that down to the 15 minute phone call, then um, I do think it's it's better. With the year coming to a close, I've been doing a lot of reflection and I just want to be in the best mindset possible before 2020 ends. Talk therapy is a method I use to not only make sure I'm mentally taken care of, but I'm bettering my thought patterns for self-care. This is why I'm so happy we're partnering up with BetterHelp, a professional counseling service available for our listeners worldwide. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. I recently changed counselors on BetterHelp and I feel like I'm already learning so much from her. We talk about negative thought patterns I have and why. Then she gives me tangible activities to do to help change these negative patterns to positive ones. I love how I can have monthly video calls with her and chat with her online in between those sessions to make sure we're on the right track. So whether you work better with phone, video calls, or messaging, BetterHelp has options for you. It's also more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com ABG10. That's Better H-E-L-P and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. They have a special offer just for ABG listeners where you can get 10% off your first month. Try it out at BetterHelp.com ABG10. Hi, ABGs and ABBs. As some of you know, in 2020, I turned 35, and I've been thinking a lot about my desire to have children someday, but not today, which is why I'm very thankful for one of our partners, Modern Fertility. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a single finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label, and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. And if you go to modernfertility.com ABG, you can get $20 off your test. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and any reproductive red flags. The results go in-depth into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com ABG. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com ABG. modernfertility.com ABG. Okay, so I know a lot of our listeners will feel us when we talk about the the double-edged sword that is, you know, the dating app culture. Um, it's great that we have access to all of these tools now, but unfortunately, it also has really um, 
created somewhat of a frustrating dating landscape, which is kind of a lot of the premise, I think, Maggie, of your uh, of your business. Um, but knowing that we do operate in a setting where these apps exist, um, of the popular dating apps such as Bumble, Hinge, Coffee Meets Bagel, and Tinder, or others, um, which do you do you like the most if you had to choose one, and and why? I actually like Tinder. Uh, maybe I'm biased. I met my husband on Tinder, but oh. I liked it even before then uh, because it had the biggest pool of people yeah. and mm. uh, it was the most accurate. So I think with some of the other apps, um, they were showing old profiles. Like I literally had, I, I won't name the app, but I had a friend who I knew was in a relationship, a guy friend, and his profile showed up and, and I was like, that's really sketchy of you. And he's like, I haven't used that app in months. And so they were basically still uh, showing old profiles. Um, I think some of the other ones that are more conversational, I definitely appreciate as well than, you know, Bumble with, with the kind of female messaging first. But the reason I like Tinder is because it has the biggest pool. And so the question then becomes like, how do you sift through that pool? Because most of it is rubbish. Uh, and, and I think a lot of, a lot of people find it overwhelming to have to swipe left three or 400 times to swipe right once. Um, But that's, I mean, that's where I come in as a a matchmaker. I've actually taken over the online dating profiles for some clients and done the swiping for them. And you could actually swipe like a hundred profiles a minute. So I'll say like right before bed, after you brush your teeth, just like lie in bed and take five minutes to swipe. Um, Or like when you're like, I would go travel a lot. So I was in a lot of um, Ubers and Lyfts to the airport. And so it's like a perfect, like, what else are you doing? Right. And you can just get that done and, and you just make sure you do 200 or something every day. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I, I like Tinder. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. <laughs> I mean, everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But then it, I was like, why did I, it seems overwhelming to do, but it would make sense that if you put in that effort and actually it should not take that long to to swipe through. So knowing that, I guess persistence on the app is a really important um, aspect. Um, in terms of the user profile, what do you think is like the most important part of a profile? Hands down, it's the photos. Uh, probably mm-hmm. 95 to 99% it's the photos. So um, one of the other services that um, Amy, my business partner and I offer is uh, dating headshots. So we um, take photos or headshots for people's online dating profiles. And also if they're working with matchmakers for the pictures that the matchmakers will send to potential matches. And you've probably uh, seen the same thing, but if you look at a profile without a picture, it's so hard to know anything about that person right from text. Um, So I'd say almost all profile related. And then a tiny bit, there's what I call the hook. So it's some hook about the app that makes it extremely easy for the person to respond, right? Because, you know, they have all this access, they're swiping through, they want to be able to send a very witty message. It doesn't have to be unique, it just has to be something that catches someone. And so one one great example, I had one client, um, a gay man, and his opening photo was basically him in a Santa suit that was like, buttoned open where you could see a six pack. Uh, And so I I wouldn't ordinarily recommend a picture like this, but the number of Hey Sexy Santas was overwhelming and people were just compelled to reach out to him. And it was such an easy hook. Like they felt like they wanted to respond. They felt like they had something Mm. witty to say. I mean, they all said the same thing, but that got the conversation going. Um, And I do think, you know, one of my big, um, you know, brand promises and, and things that I want when I work with clients on their dating profiles is anyone you right swipe, 
should be right swiping you, right? That's that's what you want to be optimizing for if you think about like a sales funnel. So um, anyone you're interested in should be at least interested enough in you. And, and that's not misrepresenting yourself, but that's showing the best profile you can show. Um, and part of that is having a really great yeah. hook. Wow. That is, those are two very good pieces of advice. I feel like if we're going to walk away, think about anything, it's pictures and a hook in your profile. <laughs> that's invaluable. Thank you, Maggie. Jan- Janet, um, what's your hook? Yeah. Oh God, I don't know. I just... <laughs> And it could be like a, a fun picture, you know, some landmark um, that people recognize. It could be really anything or an unusual activity that you do. Mm. Maybe something with meditation and yoga. I don't yeah. know. That's a little cliched nowadays, though. <laughs> but it's it, it's a conversation starter, right? So anything that starts the conversation. Mm. And, and it could be either in your photo or in your written profile. Mm. Okay. Janet, I think your okay. hook would be actually if you did an, uh, was it an inverse or uh, the upside down yoga? Oh, inverse. Yes. Yeah. Inversion. Yeah. <laughs> if you do one of those photos, I'm sure oh, you get a, a lot good... of comments on that one. Oh, that is a good point. I think. And then Mel, I feel like your hook is uh, the food. Mm. I feel like you're the foodie. The foodie, yeah. So you got to do something special with the food. Yeah. Something for people to comment on. I could do like, what is that thing where like people put sushi on their bodies? <laughs> that could be a hook. That might be oh. a little too much though. <laughs> But there, I saw that on Sex in the City. Um, Samantha did that, and the guy didn't come for a while. But um, anyways, um, can your hook also be in the middle? Because I think my hook is that I say I don't like to hike. Because I think everyone on, on the dating apps is like, I'm very adventurous, and I like to hike. I'm like, I'm not that. Maggie, is that a hook? Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, if, it, if it is absorbed within the first 15 seconds of them looking at your profile, so whether it's mm. it could be in the middle of your pictures or it could be something, but it just has to be quick for them to pick up on and be able to respond to. But is the, I don't like to hike a hook? <laughs> we could reframe it positively. So if, there, if there's something you like to do. But, but I mean, there is something to be said for, um, do you want, you know, if there are a few key things about yourself that are really important, uh, mm you know, one could be religion and it really is that important to you, I would actually put it on your profile and you'll get a lot of people who will just not, you know, not swipe, but that's okay because you don't really want to be with those people anyway. And so you know that you're getting fewer responses. Um, I've sometimes seen profiles that say, you know, I'm polyamorous or, you know, Mm. looking for whatever. And they're just upfront about it. Right. So it's just, let's not waste anyone's time. This is what I'm looking for. If, If you're, if that's not you, if you're not interested, we can move on. Mm, good to note. Um, so speaking of, uh, I know I'm pretty much asking for tips already for my dating profile, but then um, hypothetically speaking, you know, um, if Janet and myself were to sign up for your matchmaking service, do you think you can find us a match? Uh, I would want to know a bit more about what you're looking for before saying yes for sure, but I'm pretty confident I could. Uh, and I'm actually planning an upcoming virtual date event in a few weeks. And I'd love if you guys were able to join. Oh yes. my God, Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen them this excited this whole week. <laughs> yes, we will be very interested in attending and participating. Sounds great. I, I actually started, um, I hosted a number of speed datings. That was kind of my event format of choice. And so in business school, I was hosting speed datings with like the different grad schools. I think the biggest one I hosted was almost 100 people. Um, and so you went on, you know, five dates of five minutes each, then took a break, then went on another five dates. And the energy in that room was absolutely incredible. I mean, just like that buzz of like all those people talking to each other. Um, I know they just, I think they did a Guinness world record, uh, you know, huge date of that virtual date event recently. I think maybe match did it with like hundreds and hundreds of people. And I have a, oh, wow. a friend who attended like 
uh, I think it was like a six or 700 person speed dating event in Las Vegas on Valentine's Day. Um, mm-hmm. and so they had people all out and this is a total digression, but they had people sitting all outside and it was so disorganized that they didn't start for like an hour. So you were just sitting across that first person for an hour. And he was sitting across from, I kid you not, you know, he was probably late twenties at the time from like a grandmother. Cause they did oh, not vet the well. date. So he just spent oh like an hour talking oh, yeah. to this woman about her grandkids. And he's like the nicest guy ever. And I still oh. make fun of him about that. But um, so speed dating gets a bad, you know, rap. But when the people are great, then it's actually a really great and efficient format to meet people. Wow. No, that sounds really fun. I feel like um, I was definitely someone that before, like when I saw speed dating, even like on the movies, you're like, oh, I'm never going to do this. But now I'm just like, yeah, I want to do this. Like, I think it just seems like even like you mentioned before, Maggie, like it's about carving out time to like really, you know, make time for dating. So I think that's a good way to do it. To jump into another question, you know, on the listing of your matchmaking services, you know, dating, date coaching is one of them. Like, can you share with our listeners, like your top three, like date tips? Uh, So these apply to first dates, since my advice for subsequent dates would be different. Um, Mm -hmm. And the first is that it seems so basic, but you really want to make sure there's an equal back and forth between the two of you. And so it doesn't have to be like one to one to one to one, but think of it like a game of tennis where one person should not be talking the entire time. Um, oftentimes I have clients who just get nervous and they start like blabbering and, you know, they're just, or they're trying to, you know, you guys were saying on the first date, sometimes you're just trying to put your best foot forward. Um, but really take the time to like, listen to the other person, ask them questions based on what they've shared with you, make sure it's a dialogue. Um, and then the second is it should not feel like a job interview. So I think many of us go through what I think of as like standard questions. What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just going down this list in your head and it's not conscious, but that's just how you get to know people. Um, but I find the best dates are when there's this unique, potentially unexpected connection. And, and that only comes by exploring different avenues. So maybe they say something that wasn't really related. You know, they, they were answering a question, they said something and it caught your interest, just like going down that avenue and having a conversation about that and not not saying like I need to like make sure back to the check boxes they're checking all the boxes of, of what I have um, and then I think the third point would be having an appropriate level of disclosure so um, you know think about the onion you don't necessarily want to share everything that's like your deepest darkest and most intense mm-hmm. secrets and whatnot on the first date I think it's important to um, pace that appropriately and and but you also don't want to wait until the sixth date, right? Because maybe the person won't respond well and you've wasted all this time. So I think um, the first three dates, there's definitely a pacing to them um, that you need to think about following. And so I would say if there's something big um, for me, there are a couple like key non-negotiables. I brought, I would tend to bring that up on the third date. Um, And then by then you would have like a pretty honest conversation around like, is that something that the other person's interested in and um, something that resonates with them? And you could go from there. Wow. Great tips. Yeah, pacing pacing between the three dates. I like that. I never thought of it put that way, but I think that's a very good and solid point. Yeah, there's another school of thought that says to um, go on the most adrenaline-filled first date you can. So there's some really great uh. research actually from OkCupid. They have a blog with like pretty intense statistical analyses. And um, there's, there's a body of research because you're re- releasing certain like hormones and stuff that when you have a scary or terrifying experience together, so skydiving or something 
really thrill seeking, you immediately feel more bonded. Um, And so if you're looking to impress someone, I would say then uh, I would recommend like the adrenaline filled first date, but I don't usually, you know, advocate for that, but it's definitely an option. But maybe like the third date when you kind of already have vetted that person out or something. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I had a date with someone where we were in um, Toronto and there's like this really tall building and they basically like hang you off the side of the building. Like you're on like a, a rope, but you're literally hanging off this building and um, and then they take a picture and it was terrifying. And, you know, after the date, I was like, that was so great. You know, I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I think he, he had read that research or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's true. You feel like this, like, uh, like almost a sense of accomplishment with that person, right? For having yeah, exactly. that beer. <laughs> Are you a red or a white? Avid listeners know that Helena and I are reds and Mel is a white. I'm talking about wine preferences, of course. Tis the season for festive decor, festive food, and festive drinks. If you need to fill up that bar cart this holiday season, might we suggest One Hope Wine? One Hope is a Napa Valley winery built on hope and rooted in purpose. One of their biggest selling points for me is their commitment to social causes. Through the sale of every bottle, One Hope has donated over $5 million to causes around the world like building a school in Guatemala and funding over 3 million meals for children in need. They also believe that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your wallet to enjoy quality, award-winning wines, so their world-class Vintner collection begins at just $25. You can get their award-winning 90-plus point Napa Valley wines at up to 20% off 12-packs, 10% off 6-packs, and 5% off 4-packs, and earn rewards with every purchase. Visit onehopewine.com slash abg and use code abg for $10 off your first order. That's onehopewine.com slash abg, code abg for $10 off your first order. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Maggie, you've shared with us all this wonderful knowledge you have in terms of how to help someone um, curate their profile or manage and, and uh, behave on their online dating apps. Um, when you get a lot of clients that come to you, I'm sure that they have you know, tried it themselves already and are facing some point of frustration. What is the biggest complaint that uh, you have gotten from your clients in terms of just all over the dating world? What is like kind of like the top things that come to the top that people struggle with? 
I mean, how much time do you have? And I'm sure you have um, <laughs> similar complaints, but I mean, it's painful to scroll through profiles, um, endless texting. So you're just texting back and forth and there's no like resolution. Um, you get ghosted, uh, the low quality of people, like some, you know, there's um, an Instagram handle. I think it's like Tinder nightmares and you just read what people are writing there. Um, so it's, Again, I think it's really just exhausting and, and matchmakers can really save you time and energy. Um, I think about it like if you are trying to get fit, you hire a trainer. Um, like it, it's just someone who is better at this because they, they have these tactics and like they've thought about this and they're doing this every day. And so they can really help you accelerate that and, and cut out um, the, the time uh, and energy that you shouldn't be wasting on this. Like you should be going on dates. Um, not mm-hmm. sourcing dates, right? You should be going on high quality dates. Like that's really where your time should be spent and matchmakers can help get you there faster. If I were still in a dating scene, I would definitely uh, try to matchmake ladies. I think it's yeah. time. I think <laughs> I've heard so much of just like exhaustion from swiping from both of you. And you're exactly. like, okay, I'm deleting the app. Okay, I'm back on. Okay, I'm deleting. Okay, I'm back on. <laughs> well, and that's a lot of my friends too. Like they'll go on in these waves, right? Because there's like a burst of energy and you go on all these dates and then, and then you turn everything off. And then a couple months later, you, you're like, I, I got to get back into it. Right. And then it's the, the mm-hmm. same cycle that repeats. Um, and it's frustrating. And, and sometimes, you know, people start to doubt, like, is it something about me or what's mm-hmm. going on? Um, and I think just um, having someone you can talk to and, and bounce ideas off of and, um, you know, someone who's like supportive of you and isn't judging, but wants to help you uh, can oftentimes be a really good path. Yeah, no, I for sure can see the, the benefits of that. Um, Maggie, as part of your matchmaking services, I understand you maintain a private invite-only uh, match database. I know you started your services 10 years ago. Uh, take us back to 10 years ago. How did you even go about building this database? I started with my networks. So I'm in a lot of different networks, both from um, the schools I've been to, as well as you know where I've worked or my interests. And uh, what's interesting is oftentimes those networks don't necessarily overlap. And so if, if I ask people in one network um, for referrals and I was building through referrals um, and then I ask people in another network, I, I can get this really diverse and interesting database. Um, it, it definitely still gravitates towards people that are closer to my age and in, in cities that I've lived in just because, again, matchmaking can be quite personal. Um, but I've have, you know, lots and lots and lots of different um, clients, both, you know, U.S. based and international and anywhere from early 20s to in their 50s um, and beyond. And uh, I think it's it's actually really um, wonderful to see. So we offer gift certificates. And so sometimes um, people will buy like recently, this um, woman bought a gift certificate for matchmaking um, and for photos for her sister because she wanted to mm. support her. Um, and sometimes um, we've talked to um, parents where they're, you know, they were they're recently divorced and their children actually wanted them to get back into the dating scene, so purchased a photography package for them. Um, so it's definitely referral based as well. That's super sweet. Um, so Maggie, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, in the dating industry, like, what are some of the challenges you face? Like, has the pandemic affected your business? Dating is a really interesting business model because if you're successful, mm. people stop using you. And so oftentimes, <laughs> that's true. That's true yeah. Yeah, like matchmakers and dating sites don't have the right incentives in place. Like if you look at like traditional venture capital, um, when they're investing in companies, they want to know like once you get a customer, how you know what's their lifetime value, how long will they be um, using your product or service. But um, if you're really successful, then they stop. Um, and I think also 
it's not oftentimes, I think now, you know, there, there's less of a stigma, but, um, it's, it's a little bit harder to talk to. So it's not something that people tend to want to recommend. So, um, another example would be like, you know, electrolysis or laser hair removal. People aren't like shouting about all the, the laser hair removal they've had done. Like they'll recommend it quietly to their friends. So matchmaking mm-hmm. oftentimes isn't something that, you know, people are proud of saying that they, you know, they're working with a matchmaker. Um, but again, I think online dating has definitely changed where people, you know, everyone's meeting online. If you read the New York Times wedding announcements, which I read uh, almost every Sunday because I just love reading it. It's so much fun. Um, you yeah. can see people saying like, you know, they met online, they met online, they met online very rarely. Um, now I'd say the balance has shifted um, for, you know, they met through some mutual network. But yeah, so that, that I think that's one of the big challenges is like the actual business model around incentive alignment. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the pandemic's been really great. So um, I've actually, you know, I hadn't been doing as much active uh, matchmaking for a while. But when when it started, I think there's you know, it's shifted so many things for so many people, but there's definitely a sense of loneliness um, mm-hmm. and people wanting to really find a partner, um, someone to, you know, share share their time with. Um, and so that's been positive for, for business and also just going into the winter. And you guys know this, it's, you know, cuffing season and people <laughs> don't, you know, it's, it's sad. It gets dark early and you're at home and you're watching Netflix and yeah. it'd be nice to have someone there. You just described my last night, so... <laughs> <laughs> What is your favorite part of matchmaking and what is your least favorite part of matchmaking? My favorite part probably isn't a surprise. It's hearing about a successful match. So it's quite rewarding for me to um, go to a wedding of a couple that I've matched. I mean, that's like the ultimate um, success or just hear about a great date that two people went on. Uh, And the least favorite part, I'd say now it's just being not being able to go out and meet and vet people in person. So having to do a lot of um, FaceTime and Zoom calls is is frustrating because, um, again, back to the energy point, like going to a party and, and going up to people and just chatting with them and learning about them is is really fun. And I miss that. Mm. I think just from the perspective of you being an entrepreneur and, and not just with, uh, with the matchmaking services, but everything that else that you've sort of dipped your toe in, what is um, your biggest failure that you've faced uh, just in terms of getting maybe these businesses up and running or well, yeah, what is the biggest failure you face and, and how have you overcome that? I think um, there's definitely been a lot of failed ideas. So I, I wouldn't point to like any one big failure, but I've had a lot of um, failed concepts and also um, failures in terms of hiring. And so I think like the people you work with and hire, and this is across, um, you know, every organization I've been with, um, I've had, you know, I've made mistakes. And so, um, again, I think it goes back to understanding, um, when it comes to hiring, just understanding people, their motivations, um, and how you can support that. And then, you know, giving them the opportunity to learn and grow if something isn't working. Um, but then also knowing when to, to kind of cut losses and when it isn't a fit. And it goes back to, you know, is there alignment around the mission, um, and what you're doing? And sometimes, you know, there, there's alignment. A lot of what I do, I have a lot of, you know, volunteer-based activities. You're not paying people, so they really have to be aligned around the mission. And if that, you know, if that isn't giving back to them, then um, you have to really move on. And yeah, I've had a number of um, business ideas that haven't worked, some in, in dating and elsewhere. And so, um, again, it's, it's you know, like my, my former boss, um, Tony Shea, who's the former CEO of Zappos, he probably had like a thousand ideas a day and, mm. you know, 999 of them were crazy, but it just, he just kept throwing out ideas, right? It's, it's this, um, people say it's like a childlike sense of like no boundaries, right? Like, why can't we do mm. that? Why couldn't we do that? Like, yeah. and so 
and you're gonna have a lot of bad ideas, but you know, there's one gem in there and you just need that one. That's great. That's a great piece of advice. Um, And I guess that goes on to my next question of for anyone who is trying to start their own business or grow it right now, what is a piece of advice that you would give uh, to this person, to this particular person? I mean, we're in the digital age, so it's, it's pretty easy to be scrappy. Um, I would find ways of testing your ideas quickly and cheaply. So um, getting that direct user feedback, um, you know, interviewing your friends, uh, doing focus groups, uh, and being okay pivoting. So I, I think don't take it personally if, if someone doesn't like your idea. Mm-hmm. So I've actually, I mean, total aside, but I have a friend and I, we've been working on a children's book concept for over a year. We've probably gotten rejected 50 times um, by different uh, agents. And we're just, we keep iterating because every single time they give us, you know, feedback about the concept or the structure and, and we're just continually iterating on that. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. definitely a level of resiliency that I'm hearing, mm-hmm. regardless of what the failure is or what ideas you have, just continue to be resilient and consistent and keep pushing forward. That's yeah. great advice. Mm-hmm. Now you started to get that date because, you know, you understood firsthand the struggles of today's online dating landscape. Are there any personal dating horror stories that you can share with us? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, so Amy and I started Get Set Date. We were both single at the time. We were both in San Francisco and we were both like so frustrated with the dating scene. Um, and so uh, I don't think I had like the one horrible, horrible date, but I did have a lot of like strange ones. So mm-hmm. like one of the stranger ones was... Um, we, the guy and I were, you know, we met for drinks and he shared that he was like a couch surfer. Like that was his thing that he did. Um, so he, I actually would have been like a job or whether he got paid to like couch. I have no idea. It was, it was kind of weird. But then he was telling me how he always wears two pairs of pants. Um, and he was like wearing two pairs of pants and it's something about like keeping his money in the inside pants pocket. And like, it was, it was strange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I've had dates where, like, uh, you know, just people misrepresent themselves. So I don't know if Bumble still doesn't do this, but Bumble didn't have height. Uh, like, mm-hmm. you didn't have to share your height. And so, mm-hmm. so that the guy showed up and was, like, significantly shorter than he had made himself out to be in the pictures because mm-hmm. you can crop pictures a certain way. Um, another, another guy, um, his pictures had hidden. He had, like, a giant bald spot in the back of his head but like it was so which I don't mind but I would have liked to know that beforehand and so that's where I think like pictures should show the best you not not like a cat like we should not be catfishing here and so they should show like the best you um if you have that like it's okay to show it um and then I just like awkward closure so I think the end of a date is always awkward no matter what um because do you shake hands do you hug do you kiss like so I always used to just like initiate a hug because that was that just like preempted everything so for any date no matter how poorly or well it went I would just go in for a hug and that seemed to be fine with most people (laughs) although one one like guy tried to it was like no let's like do a peck on the two yeah so it can still be awkward um (laughs) did the dodging yeah yeah, the dodging (laughs) but I mean I met my husband, so I guess that's a good story. We actually, we met on Tinder. We had a number of mutual friends, and I was in San Francisco at the time. He was in Seattle, and um, so our first date, this was way before uh, video dating, was on Skype, Um, and he actually sent a bottle of wine for the date, and so I was like, really, I didn't want to give him my address because I don't even know this guy, so he asked for it, and then I think he realized it was like a little creepy, and he's like, 
oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to like, you know, do, and I was like, no, no, I have like a delivery service. It's okay. Um, and so we opened our bottles and like we cheers. Um, and he told me after like, cause you know, we're just like drinking. And, like, I, of course I was like, if it's a video date, I don't want to like have to dress. I was wearing like PJ bottoms. That was like the one thing I'd always wanted to do was go on a video date and not have to dress up from the bottom up. Um, and he was so nervous. He just like kept drinking and like after that is like a two and a half hour date he just went he was like supposed to like go he just went and passed out <laughs> um but it was it was sweet and then we met up in person after that and um but yeah that, that was a good experience that is a beautiful love story I love that That's so sweet. <laughs> it's a level of comfort I'm, and also just a thoughtfulness yeah. behind that that he yeah I'm, yeah I mean I'm sure for the first date if someone asked me for my address I'd be like mm, no not giving that to you you're <laughs> yeah. not coming over but that is such a sweet idea. That's a really good idea for our listeners out there who are looking for like a first date, you know, especially during these quarantine mm-hmm. times. Yeah. yeah. It's so easy to do and it made him stand out from everyone else. And like, if you just think about it, right? Like it's just this little thing and it was so thoughtful. Aww. Yeah. That's so sweet. Maggie, you mentioned like, you know, there are different dating shows out there, like Indian matchmaking and a lot of modern love and all of these what are your thoughts about The Bachelorette? Because that is a hot show right now. And I don't know if you watch that show, but I'm curious what your thoughts are with like the interactions that happen, how there's a lot of kissing going on on first dates. Like, are there a lot of no-nos mm. within the dating realm that you're just like, it's happening and it's a train wreck? What are your thoughts on that? I don't watch it that often. I know there's like an Asian Bachelor on this season, so I'm really proud um, of, of that. But I, I've, you know, I've watched here and there episodes. It's, it's, it's TV. It's fun, right? It's yeah. not like actual dating. Um, I think some of the um, behaviors I, I definitely wouldn't recommend. <laughs> but it's this like totally contrived thing. Um, and I think what I, the one I liked more was the one where you know they couldn't see each other. Love is blind. Um, oh, love is love blind. Is blind. Love is yeah. blind. Yeah. And, and then at the end, and I thought that was really sweet. And, like, some of those couples are still together um, yeah. versus, some other, like, Indian matchmaker. Like, none of the couples are together, which is really mm. sad. You know, again, it, it totally depends yeah. on... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it is TV. It is contrived. It is just definitely, like, a long, a long, peer, a long relationship that's squeezed into, like, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us, Maggie. With Get Set Date, you are working on a topic that is near and dear to many of our listeners' hearts, double meaning intended, and we really appreciate you coming onto our podcast and not only sharing your unique spin on dating, as many of our listeners may think that online apps are really their only option nowadays, but also sharing all your personal insights on dating. Can you share with our listeners where they can find you online and how they can get in contact with you if they're interested in trying out your services? Absolutely. Our website is www.getsetdate.co. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Wonderful. Thanks again for joining us, Maggie. And uh, for any of our listeners, leave a heart comment, I guess, if you enjoyed this episode. (laughs) As always, you can find us on all the podcasting platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as Instagram and YouTube. We are Asian Boss Girl. Subscribe, follow, and if you like what you hear, leave us a rating, a review, a comment, and share this episode with a friend. For links and codes to partners mentioned in this podcast, go to our show notes or head to our website for more special discounts. If you have someone you'd like to give a shout out to, a birthday coming up, just moved, got a promotion, started his or her new entrepreneur journey, whatever it is, and you know they listen to our podcast every Thursday, feel free to email us at shoutouts at asianbossgirl.com and we'll give them a shout out. Again, that's shoutouts with an S at asianbossgirl.com. 
And if you'd like to support us through monthly donations to help keep this podcast running, you can do so at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support. Or buy some new merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. Last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episode, including this one. And we'll catch you all on the next episode. Bye. Bye.